0: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Secrets and Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host Sylvie Daou and Cycling Coach. So before we get started, I have some quick announcements. I have two, actually, and they are related to winter or cycling training skills. Now, August is about the time where a lot of us start thinking about, ooh, what am I going to do to you know, improve what I'm already doing now? So you think about, how am I doing on the road? What kind of skills would I love to improve and how am I going to get those skills? And that's where I have something so amazing for you. It doesn't matter where you're sitting because we're in like 35 different countries. Amazing. So this can impact all of you if it interests you or piques your interest. So the first thing is I have a cycling skills online four week workshop. For women. And this is where we're going to, it's only for September and October. Each week we focus on a different skill. So first we really work on what is a smooth pedal stroke and how to get more efficient. I'm going to share with you the skills and tips and my secrets about that. And then we're going to move on to hills and then speed. And then we finish it up with nutrition. We get, and we also talk about our weight training program, which is so important for strength training, to become better. With this one is super fun because every week we do the workshop and then I give you homework and then we have a and a so you basically have me as a coach for the whole month. And that is cyclingskillspro.com. Go you can register now, secure your spot September or October. Then the next one is a much longer, more training, more uh geared towards um working towards goals. And really drilling in the skills that, A, we go through in the four-week program. Pedal stroke, then we get into the drills. And it's periodized. I also help you with organizing yourself to be scheduled in your training so that you don't overdo it and you become very intentional. I just love this because a lot of people just get on the online programs and they just go for broke all the time you have to plan it. It's an 80-20 rule, 80% um, endurance, 20% intensity. And if you're not getting that, you're just going to basically overtrain yourself and overdo it. So the 16-week program is dedicated to that and so much more. So this starts in November to March. So it's truly through the winter. Weight training, online program, uh, maybe some racing, group riding, All of that is going to be part. You just join us and we'll take care of your winter training. Now go to 16weekroadcycling.ca and secure your spot. Registration is not open right now, but those who are on the VIP will get a chance to secure a spot at an early bird price. So don't wait, get on the list. All right, take care and have an amazing day. And don't forget to ride your bike. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Thank you everybody for coming out for another amazing episode of Secrets from the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host Sylvie Dow and we have a really fascinating guy. His name is Tony Lund, Lund, from yes. Finland, and he, ha- like, he has an amazing story and about ultra cycling. Now he was referred to me by. Give a big shout out to Mika Simola from Finland. He referred Tony to me, and um, here's the cool thing about this particular episode, we weren't able to do the video. So if you go to the YouTube channel, you'll be able to see some pretty cool pictures that are going to go along with the audio from Tony's um, adventure cycling um, races. So go check that out or listen to the audio or watch the video with the audio. But I just want to thank Tony for coming out. And before we bring bring him out and get him into um, all the deep stuff about racing ultras, um, first, please make sure that you follow both of us on social media and make sure that you um, are subscribed to the podcast. We have an amazing contest coming up, so you don't want to miss that. Um, but here's a little bit of uh, background on Tony before we bring him out. So Tony is born in Finland as a small guy, uh, as a small guy, as a small boy, he was already fascinated by bikes in the outdoors. In the mid nineties, Tony started to ride and train seriously and became an amateur level racing cyclist on road and off road. From 2006, he rode several, several 24 hour solo mountain bike races um, already already also winter cyclists by 2009 Tony started to do winter overnight trips and learned more survival skills and I imagine you have to just know a lot of skills to be able to survive in the winter if you're going to be doing something like this so his biggest dream as he thought it was an impossible dream came true by competing and finishing the toughest winter ultra marathon in the world, which isn't a marathon, it's like a cycling enduro race or ultra race um, called Intrarod, Intrarod Trail Invitational in Alaska, mm-hmm. which is 350 miles. He did that one in 2015. And then he did the second race that they have, which is a, a thousand miles in 2018. In Norman under the framed burled arch, both times being the first one to compete from Finland. Welcome, Tony, to the podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. Um, it's so weird talking, not being able to see you, but this is what it is. And we're going to have amazing. So amazing um, interview here. So Tony, um, before we get right into, there's two things that we're gonna be talking about. Now, Tony is a, um, a professional bike mechanic. And I asked him, before we get into all the juicy stuff about the racing and his um, ultra riding, is that um, after we hear about his starting in cycling, we're going to touch i i want to know a little bit about how how things are going in finland right now with regard to pandemic so and then we're going to get into the juicy stuff so but tony how did you get into cycling give us the background
1: well, uh yeah well yeah it started when i was a small boy and uh, i was from that really early age, I was really fascinated about bikes. And of, of course, I, I just loved to, to bike everywhere. And, uh, uh but then I slightly lost the interest when I, I was a teenage, well, not, not very surprising, but actually I was still all the time. I was really interested about cycling. And, uh, Uh, About the same time, actually, I started to follow professional cycling from Eurosport, the TV channel. You know, all the big races, Tour de France, Giro Mm. d'Italia, and uh, all these uh, classic uh, professional races. And I was really fascinated about that, and uh, especially road cycling. And uh, I just, uh, when I was uh, about, I started quite late. But uh, I just wanted to see how well I could do as a road cyclist or cyclist, just a cyclist. So uh, uh, I started to train really seriously and uh, started to race here in Finland. And uh, well, uh, I, uh, I quite soon I, I, I realized that I'm not quite uh, fast i not quite powerful and uh, I knew that, OK, maybe I should uh, have more patience and uh, train several years, you know, to progress. But uh, uh, I did that for about two or three years and uh, uh, I wasn't really happy how I performed in the short and races. But uh, and also at the same time, I, my uh, My life changed slightly, otherwise, so I I I got permanent work and uh, then I met my future wife. So uh, things, all things changed quite a bit. And uh, uh, but then uh, I I'm I've been always, you know, really uh, interesting to know everything about something like like from from cycling and. uh, I uh, I read some newspaper stories, you know, from from cycling magazines about twenty four hour races, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was when I read about that. Those I I was immediately I was really interested about those, and uh, so I wanted to try them, and and later in, I actually tried that, uh, and uh, that really changed me because I I. I figured out that the, the long distances and uh, like twenty-four hour races—they they were the right thing for me. I, I was doing quite well in them. So, in short, that is my story: how I, I, how I started to ride bikes. So you found that
0: the longer distance stuff
1: was more,
0: more in tune to you than racing in a
1: peloton oh yes yes so uh <laughs> safer too <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah yeah it's uh, it's very different you know to ride in a peloton or uh, or or so distant race, races i liked really much about the time trial trials uh, mm-hmm. but uh again i didn't find myself quite Fast and I, I didn't have that, you know, that power. But you need for mm-hmm. those kind of races. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I when I did the first twenty four hour race, that was really uh, it. It really changed things because uh, there is so much mental things going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, and. Yeah. Uh, the longer the event is, more mental it is actually. So uh, when we get into the the w- long winter races and and Alaska, it's it's uh it's actually it's it's all in your head. That that is what counts over there.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and yeah. That's definitely something I'm going to be asking about because it's um. I imagine that's what keeps you going for the amount of days that you need to complete one of those events. Yeah. So that's where your, 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 I would say your superpower is, is being able to ride by yourself for that amount of time. And and be okay with it
1: yeah uh, i i i really like to be alone and ride alone and be be with myself you know so uh because uh, uh that that's the place where i kind of want to be mm-hmm. because uh then you you are just facing all the you know all the obstacles you are facing them alone and you have to you have to figure it out all by yourself and uh, there is no one to help you and uh, i really like that and uh, i think it's it's not for everyone but uh but it works for me yeah
0: i was gonna say it had to be a pretty special person to be able to do that for that distance you kind of remind me of a friend of mine I don't know if you've ever heard of him Ray Zahab he does uh, those ultra runs um, and he does um, events for impossible to possible uh, in the north in the south Um, I would have to get you in touch with him because It's the same thing. He does a lot of them solo. He does a lot of them with partners, um, just one or one other person. But um, they're very long, like.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how did you find yourself um, in becoming a bike mechanic?
1: Well, yeah, that uh, happened in 2015, uh, right after the, the first ITI the uh, IDT the 350 mile race, because I, I was, uh, for a short amount of time, I was just unumple- un- unemployed and uh, I had to find a new work. And uh, uh, the uh, big uh, bike shop in, in my home city, they just had the uh, one one place open, for, for a bike mechanic and I applied that that place and I I, I got it, so uh, because uh, that was something I just also of course I wanted to, to do because uh, I really like to to work with bicycles and uh, uh, before I started that this work I actually had uh, built all my bikes by myself and uh, I've been doing with my bikes a lot of things so uh yeah that was a thing i i, I just wanted to do and uh, so i've been now a bike mechanic for over six years and uh, it's been really yeah it's been really interesting uh job yeah
0: yeah because i want to ask you when yeah, you were talking I... about bike mechanic and i was i'm i was like okay i've got to talk to a bike mechanic too on the podcast And um, but how is it affecting your area, like with regards to current, you know, the current situation? I know here in Canada, um, you know, there's a shortage of bikes, there's a shortage of parts, there's uh, shortages in materials. Um, How is it affecting your current bike shop, I guess, in Finland? And where you are
1: yeah well we are seeing the same things yeah yeah we are we are experiencing the same 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 things but uh but uh, or the shop i'm working in it's quite big and we have uh we have a internet shop in the same same business so uh we are selling quite a lot of bikes every year so uh uh so at the moment we we have a, our situation is quite good actually because we we have uh we have quite many bikes in our store and our, our garage but uh uh yeah it's uh it's really different compared to the previous years because uh it's been it's been so uh you know the the business has grown really really much, and uh, I think uh, we will have some shortage of bikes. Certainly this summer, and some some models uh, will be a, will be sold out. But uh, we <laughs> we have just lots of work maybe just a bit too much work at the moment so so we are building bikes all the time and uh uh so it's it's really busy times in my work have you also seen an influx of new
0: cyclists in your area
1: oh yeah yeah it's uh People have been saying that the COVID-19 is one of the reasons that there is uh, so much growth in cycling, and uh, I'm, I think that that has to be one of the reasons. And uh, and then there is of course the e-bikes, so uh, that's Ooh. that's the other thing. But uh, yeah, but uh, well. Uh, it's, of course, it's a, it's a good for business, and uh, but uh, it's of, of course, it's it's not my thing. But uh, I can understand the, you know, the kind of idea behind that. But but of course, for if you want to, if you want to exercise and, and train and uh, you know uh, improve yourself, I I don't see. E-bikes, I, I don't see them as a, as the right tool for you, but uh, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, that's one. Yeah, sorry.
0: Oh no, I was just saying that's a. I think that's for a very specific demographic that want to get out and get more, you know, just more cycling in. Kind of like you know, for my grandfather. Oh no, not my grandfather. My dad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So things are keeping you busy there. Now, it's been a while, so two, three years since your last comp- your last event, am I correct?
1: Well, actually, well, just one year because I was in Alaska in 2021 Oh. Uh, sorry, uh, actually. <laughs> no, I was in 2020, of course. <laughs> yeah, because, I was like, wow, uh, that we oh just my- started. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, sorry about that. So uh, just a one year ago. So, uh, and that was the third time that I was in Alaska.
0: Now, how Tony, how did you decide to do this ultra marathon, um, the first one, the 350. How did you find out? Because is that it's not very far to get to Alaska from Finland.
1: Is it not? Yeah. Well. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, there is a quite uh, interesting story about that too. Of course. Well. Uh, I I've been always really interest, interested about winter cycling because here in Finland we we have quite good winters and and good winter means that we have you know snow and uh, cold temperatures and uh, yeah it was in the early 2000s I just I was reading from the internet you know uh, all kinds of stuff about winter cycling, you know uh, how to how to dress for 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 s- subzero temperatures or below freezing temperatures, and uh, study tires and uh, how to keep your hands and your feet warm and, and things things like that. And uh, then I suddenly found about this race in Alaska. Okay, uh, Tony. Before you you continue, yeah, I have to
0: ask about keeping your hands and feet warm.
1: Yeah,
0: I have to ask about keeping your hands and feet warm.
1: How do you do it? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you have to have really good boots. your feet and uh several socks and the the boots have to be oversized and uh your your hands well the best thing i found out this and it's really popular in for for winter cyclists is a thing called pookies you know they are kind of all large mittens that goes over the over your handlebars Mm -hmm. so uh so those work really well
0: i have seen those yeah and i actually had a pair of those that i used to use for paddling same thing and i used to put them on my handlebars when i used to race um And uh, then I started seeing them on bikes, but kind of fashioned differently. So I was like, yeah, they're, and they're called pogies um, for paddling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're great. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's how I, I keep my hands and feet warm. So, uh. But yeah, I was uh, telling about this uh, about this race race in Alaska and there was uh, a couple of stories that are I, I read and uh, I was thinking that, oh, this is really, really something, you know, really I was of course I was really fascinated about it, but I thought that okay. That is really far far away from Finland, and uh, it's, uh, uh, especially the 1,000 miles to Nome. I thought that okay, that is simply impossible, because actually the, the race had different name back in the late 90s. It was called the Iditarod Impossible, because it was mm. you know, yeah, it was deemed like deemed to be impossible to do. So I thought well there is lots of interesting things in this world but that is probably something that is not for me. I thought that okay. Yeah. But okay uh when we started to have fat bikes in the 2010 and and from there and I I I I bought my my own first fat bike actually directly from Alaska because uh, the fat bikes, they are born in this race. They were born in this race. So uh, when I got my first fat bike, we we had the, uh, quite soon after that, we had a shorter winter race here in Finland called Rovaniemi, 150 kilometers. So it's almost 100 miles. So uh, that is, a. Uh, qualifying race for for the i did the road race Ooh. and uh Ooh. yeah so uh i did that one two times in 2013 and 2014 and uh 2014 actually i was really close to win that race i just uh, missed a turn in the end on this on the r- river and uh one guy just passed me in the last two kilometers and I lost that race by one minute. Oh, that's... uh, Yeah, that was really heartbreaking but uh, but anyway I got to qualifying for the for the the 350 mile race and and the next year I was there and uh, yeah, well that was that was really amazing because I that was some, already that shorter 350-mile race in Alaska. It was something that I just dreamed of. And uh, it was a quite an interesting race because uh, usually there is quite a lot of snow in Alaska. But that wind, uh, that was really different. Uh, there was not much snow. Uh, there was a lot of ice, and the the trail was it was super fast. So uh, actually, yeah, the uh, the the man who won it he, he did a, a, a course record. He rode in in one day, eighteen hours and some some thirty minutes, and uh, it was it was. Yeah, it was really fast race, but uh, the the backcountry is is it's it's amazing, it's it's really amazing place. So uh, and uh, yeah, the weather was actually quite good actually, so uh, there wasn't any big storms uh, and uh, no s- snowfall during the race. So, uh, but anyway, it was, it was really, really great experience. And uh, I did quite well. I was, uh, I finished eighth place and uh, I was the best European too. So yeah, I was quite happy with that.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Now, how many people actually start this race? Like this was the 350 mile that you're talking about. The first one you did, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, about 50 to 60 people can start start the race, and uh, as the ne- as the name implies, that it's, it's invitational, So uh, the the race uh, directors they they choose the people who can who can compete. In mm-hmm. this race, so you you said you sent application for them, and uh, they reviewed that application because you have to have uh, enough experience about winter traveling and winter conditions, and uh, this is, this is really important because it's you are almost completely unsupported in that race you have to have all survival gear that means you have to have a stove to to melt snow for drinking water uh you have to have sleeping bag because if the weather is bad or if the conditions are slow you might have to be in the snow mm-hmm. so uh it's uh, yeah it's uh, so this this is of course uh, also a thing that fascinates me because uh I, it's uh it's it's kind of uh expedition also so because it takes always several days to finish even this shorter race it it usually takes three to five days to finish so uh yeah that is a thing that's I'm really interested about and uh, yeah the uh, so you need you need to many times you have to cook your meals by yourself and uh, and of course uh, you yeah then uh, because because the weather is so unpredictable and it can change really fast. So it's uh, all of a sudden you 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 can have a police art or, or so the conditions can change really fast and uh, then you, you might have to push your bike so it's not about all the time cycling you have to be prepared to to push your bike quite long distances and uh, that makes this race really different to. To other races.
0: Yeah, I think you put a so, note um, here
1: where
0: you had to push your bike. I wouldn't say like 600 miles, but that's how it sounded.
1: Yeah, most- that was the. Yeah, that was the 1,000 mile race in 2018, and uh, yeah, that's that's the race where I, I think I pushed my bike. About six hundred miles because that was complete opposite to this uh, short race. There was lots of snow. There was, uh, you know, new snow falls from the sky almost every day. We had several police and uh, yeah, it, it was really tough conditions. And uh, then I, I in that race. I got uh, a, a bit sick with my stomach, so uh, I uh, and that was after after the three hundred and fifty miles. So I was really weak. I, I just anything I couldn't keep anything in my stomach, and uh, I was completely empty. And uh, that happened actually two times. I had a longer rest in in Takotna, that is a small village off the McGrath. And, uh yeah that was really bad situation because uh I I thought that okay this this will not work out I I thought that okay this will finish my race maybe and and from takotna the, there is uh I think there is almost 250 kilometers to next village which is uh Oh, I just don't remember the name right now. But anyway, the the next next village where these people, it it was really far away. So it would take at least two to three days, maybe even four days to reach that village. And uh, and the weather was really bad. And uh, but I just uh, somehow I just uh, Managed to survive. <laughs> and, uh, oh gosh, Tony, <laughs> y- yeah, that, yeah, that was really rough. But, uh, but when I got to the, the next village, I was, uh, I, I got over that, those stomach problems, and uh, I could keep my food in my stomach, and I started to feel better. And uh, after that, the, the, the race was, was much better. But the conditions were really, really slow again. And uh, there was a better stretch on the uh, Yukon River. And that is really, that is really long. But, uh, and uh, I have to point out that, of course, there is this sled dog Race going on at the same time, so so that helps because they keep the trail more open, even if there is a lot of snow. And uh, that that was the situation in, on on the Yukon River. But uh, after that, the snowstorms uh, they came again, and uh, in the end, actually there, there was. There was no trail. And uh, there is really, really dangerous uh, stretch from the Saktulik to Koyak. It's uh, across sea ice. And uh, there was a really terrible crown blizzard going on when uh, I was going through that stretch. And uh, there was a couple of other races with me, actually. We we were in a small group, but uh, uh, on that sea ice, I couldn't keep the same pace. So quite soon, actually, I was alone, and uh, the the temperature was it was uh, slightly below minus 20 Celsius, and the the wind speed was terrible. So you know the wind chill it was minus 40. So uh, in those conditions, there is no room for mistakes, and I knew that okay, this is this is serious. I mean, it, it was kind of life-threatening situation. You, you, you just, just had to keep going on, and uh, because the ground police are there, the trail was you know it was kind of obliterated. You couldn't write all. Only some short distance you could you could ride, so it, it was uh, more efficient to push my bike. So I did that for twenty one hours, and uh, I had to you know keep keep moving, eat and rig really fast, so that my uh, I was always when I stopped I I had to you know turn around so that the wind was behind my back because the 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 blizzard it was so so terrible and uh i i i literally kept telling myself don't make any mistakes because otherwise you will be dead so uh it's
0: like being on everest yeah like that, being on everest.
1: yeah yeah i think quite close to that so uh, and uh, it was so quite a long distance you know to to push 21 hours of course okay i have the previous experience experience up from those 24 hour races so i knew okay i can do this and of course okay i was tired in the end i was getting sleepy but but i knew that okay i just to get i have to get out of this place, because uh, otherwise <laughs> you you could so easily get you know frostbite or get hypothermia. Yeah. So it was really important that yeah. you you move efficiently, drink and eat, and just move move forward. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, now now that I think about it afterwards, uh, it it feels that I did something really, something really special, I think, yeah.
0: I think so too, and um, I have some questions. (laughs) I'm gonna give them all to you at the same time because of the feedback. Now, the first one is, do they have trackers on you to track where you are on the trail? The next one, are there checkpoints that you have to make it to in order to continue on to the race number three do you have something on you where you can call if you decide that you want to finish the race or you are or are you or do you have to finish the race like if if you land at those little villages you can either like decide to finish your race there or if you continue on you have to make it to the next one how what are the kind of the logistics around some of these races because i've done like eight day races like adventure races not like that but it's multi-discipline but there are checkpoints and there are check um there are like cutoffs. So if you don't make it to a certain point by a certain day, then you cannot continue on. So do you have, do they have certain things like that in place? Like, do you have a tracker on you? Do you have to check in? Yeah. Yeah. And you have like a distress?
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, yeah, we have trackers uh, from from 2015. That was the first year when we had trackers, and we you, we used the trackleaders.com that service.
0: And yep.
1: uh, it's really nice because uh, all your all people can follow the race from from that website. So you know, you see those small dots moving yep. on the map so you can follow the race that's that's quite exciting actually it is
0: oh
1: yeah and of course there is also this safety safety element do that but we actually uh, we don't have uh, the uh, the option to you know push the alarm button we don't have that right because uh, because uh, the the reason is that the uh, it's so r- remote the place you know the, the all those stretches between the villages they are so long and so difficult to travel that this is the thing about this race that uh, you just you, you need the experience to go there you, you just can't and that's the, that's the one thing with me because this all these things they didn't happen you know overnight i just uh, you know i just progressed mm-hmm. step by step i went from 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 long distance to longer distance and uh, before you can do the 1000 miles you have to finish mm-hmm. the 350 miles yeah so and yeah, we have the checkpoints. There are more checkpoints in the 350-mile race, and uh, those checkpoints actually they are they are put there by the organizer. So you you have some food in those those checkpoints. But in the 1,000-mile race, the uh, the small villages they are the checkpoints, and you send your food and uh, other, uh, you know, expendable things like batteries. You send them by mail to those villages. Oh
0: wow! And uh, oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So uh, you you don't have you don't have any o- other support just just the mail. Well, there are small, small stores in the villages. But anyway, because you need quite a lot of food, you you have to mail them before the race. And uh, then, then to, you go there and you, you uh, pick them up. So uh, yeah. And then there was the third question. Uh,
0: Oh, I think you answered that one. That was the call for help.
1: Okay. I have uh, another yeah, set the of questions. Okay.
0: You ready? Okay. So, when yeah. you're in the village, I know that that's a checkpoint. Can you stay there overnight and sleep in a bed? Can you go to a restaurant, or is it simply a place that you go and stop, get your stuff, repack? maybe change your clothes and can you choose to use a bike or cross-country skis because because of conditions like I like you said the first race one of the races was really unusual there's no snow so it was super fast can you make a choice between using cross-country skis or a fat bike
1: oh yeah 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 the first First question was, uh, can you sleep on the villages? Yes, yes, you can. Uh, usually, you do that. There are small schools where you can you can sleep and uh, and uh, be overnight. And then there are a couple of places where you, you there is a bed and breakfast type places, but the, usually they are just schools and. Uh, yeah, it's quite important that you can take some rest in the schools and dry your gear, because, because in the wintertime there is always a certain amount of moisture in your, in your gear. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really important that you can dry them. There are also uh, some safety cabins or shelter cabins on the trail with uh you know wood stove so you can you can try your clothes and your gear on those gabins uh but yeah and then uh yeah you this race is also for for cross-country skis and you can also do it on foot so oh my god always uh oh god. yeah you you, you can you, you can walk or run usually you just walk so uh, yeah you there is those three disciplines so you can you can ride your fat bikes or or walk or ski so those are your options
0: okay i have some more questions <laughs> So yeah, you I'm said ready. you said that they're um, now. Do they give you a map and compass to make it from like certain checkpoints to checkpoints? Because you said that some of the times you were lucky enough because you were on the same trail as another race, so the dog sleds were able to um, keep the trail open. But then there were times where you didn't have a trail, so how did you do? You, are you given a map and compass, and that's how you make it to the next? point?
1: Yeah. Well, we don't have a map, uh, and <laughs> you you can you yeah well you you can have a map if you want and and, and also compass, but. Uh, the more popular uh thing to do is to have a GPS device oh. so uh oh. and uh then actually the trail it's it's smart it sticks by the sled dog race so even mm. if there is no trail you, you you can yeah yeah you you can see that so uh, there is no not much choice you know get to get lost on the trail. You, you, it's quite, quite easy to follow. But actually, there was oh, one no. exception. Oh. Uh, well, on the sea ice, when there was this terrible ground blizzard, the sticks mm-hmm. are kind of uh, the distance between the sticks are long enough When the, the weather is really bad, it's really difficult to see the next one. So uh, <laughs> there was a one point that that was during daylight. That was uh, actually they are, are easier to see during night because there is reflectors, and of course I have a headlight. So yeah, it's it's slightly easier to see them, but during the daylight I lost them for for a while. So I had to to go back to find them, and. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was a bit scary, scary moment. But uh, on the other hand, well, on the sea ice, you see the, the next village to go really far away because there is, uh, there is lights on on the village. So you, you, you can't miss it. But the sea ice, it's, uh, it's a dangerous place because if you m- miss the trail, you can go too far on the sea ice to 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 weak ice, so uh, you don't want to lose lose that trail. Yeah, really. So, uh, yeah. And uh, the last time I was, by the way, there, the the race was ended for 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 the, all the others except the top three because there was a big storm and. Uh, the the sea ice it was in many places it was broken and there was a a lot of overflow and uh lots of water on top of the ice so it, we couldn't just cross it so uh the race was uh yeah it's it was ended right well that makes sense that makes sense oh yeah and and at the same time also the COVID-19 crisis <laughs> studies. So uh, yeah, that was one one of the reasons to. So,
0: so you were back there last year in the winter for another yes. event or the same one?
1: Yeah.
0: Or the first
1: time the you the same did one. That? Yes, it was the same one. Uh, it was uh, so there is two two different uh, uh, roads to to know. Okay. There is a southern road and the northern road. And uh, I just wanted to do to do the northern road too. But uh, yeah, as I said, that uh, it, well, the race didn't go as we as we would want wanted to to race to yeah. go on, but. Uh, But that's the one thing about the Alaska and the nature that uh, anything can happen there. So when I did the 1000 miles first time in 2018, I knew actually that uh, this could happen because sometimes the weather is so bad that uh, it can make traveling impossible. So... uh, I wasn't really surprised about that, but uh, of course I was disappointed. But uh, yeah. Well, you can't be too
0: disappointed about them stopping a race before open water. But I mean- Uh, And you've been there and you've done the first one, like, wow. Um, Okay, so besides the being, I can imagine you being scared at losing that trail. I can just picture myself being a little bit well, Oh my gosh. Um, now were there any other times where you just felt like, oh my gosh, what am I doing out here? Like, am I going to make it through? Cause I've had these feelings like I've done, like I was saying the adventure races and, um, the last one I did was in 2006 in Utah and um, there was one time in there where I truly felt like like you said my life was on the line if I just stepped a little bit too far this was a trail on the top of some ridge and I was just like oh my god all I did was breathe it through but can was do you have a moment where you felt like that outside of maybe being on the ice or was that truly like one of those really scary times where you're like oh wow like am i gonna make it
1: yeah yeah well uh back then in in 2018 uh, i think my biggest fear actually was not getting to know because I had put so much work, I had trained really hard, and uh, you know, it's a really big commitment to do the race to Nome, this one thousand mm-hmm. miles. So yeah. I think the biggest fear for me was that the, I wouldn't re- reach the finish line, the Nome. But and uh, and yeah, well, there were some moments then I, I thought that. Well, actually, there was a couple of moments when I thought that this race is, uh, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of too much for 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 humans. It, it was kind of, kind of inhuman. So uh, because yeah, because the uh, there are some really really hard stretches. Lots of uh, hills and uh, yeah, everything. Yeah, of course, everything because the the conditions are so brutal. But no, I I I just wanted to get to know him. And uh, when I I I was there, I was so 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 happy. And mm-hmm. uh, oh. I I the the thing is that you learn so much about yourself. And you learn so much about uh, traveling long distances, and uh, so uh, there was no no you know no wondering what I am doing here. I I, I really really wanted to to finish the race to, to to get to the finish line, but the last time actually, well, I had. Again, I had some problems with my health. I had uh, before the race. I actually had broke my elbow uh, in a biking accident. I got over that because uh, I could. I got got some really good uh, physiotherapy for for my elbow. And uh, but then during the race, I had some problems with my breathing and with my lungs. And uh, I was again slightly sick. And uh, yeah, I thought that this race is always so hard, that uh, what's the point coming here, if you can't stay healthy. But uh, actually, it's quite typical for many races that you will, uh, you will get sick or something like that. And you just have to you just have to get over it, over mm-hmm. that. So, uh, of course, there are uh, there are sometimes situations that you you are so sick that you just to have to you have to just to abandon your race. But uh, that is always the last option for me. I I always want to finish my races and. Uh, that was that was the thing in in the last time too. So uh I just uh when I got to Macrath, I just uh had the longer rest and uh, some medicines and uh I knew that I can come over this and uh, I can I can go on. So yeah. Um, that, I'm with that, you. That's just the problem. Yeah.
0: I'm with you about the, it's always finish the race, regardless if I have to crawl across or <laughs> drag myself there, I'll never, um, quit on a race and I never have, um, and I like that about myself. So what was the one big takeaway that, cause, because like you said, when you're out there, mm. you find different things about yourself. You grow a little bit more. And for me, when I've done those races and I finished them, I'm like, you know, if I can do this, I can just do anything. How did you feel when, like, what is the one thing that you kind of took away or one of those things that you grew yourself from doing that full thousand Miles.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think the key thing is you you need a lot of patience. So uh, and uh, you you have to even when you feel like uh, everything is against you, you you have to believe in yourself. So uh, and. There is no room for negative thoughts, so uh, I think those are the, the things I've I've learned there. So uh, yeah, I think those are great. And, uh, yeah, and this last time I was there actually, I the it was completely different experience because because I had the experience from the previous race so uh, it was much easier we had again we had really terrible weather but uh, I I knew what I was dealing with so uh, it, it was much easier I had the experience what I needed and uh, also I uh, I was having more fun actually because the the first time the 1000 miles it, it that was really yeah it was more more survival <laughs> but this this last time, this last time was actually it was uh yeah it was it was more fun and uh and the reason that i went back i just i wanted to see that uh what i have learned i i wanted to see if i can improve and uh, what I can do better, because uh, there is lots of, you know, small things that when they are uh, happening many times over that long distance, uh, there is a lot of you can improve. So, uh, so yeah, and I, I, I was quite happy with my, although I was sick again but other than that, I was I was doing much better than the the first time. So uh, yeah. yeah, so th- that's that's the reason I wanted to go back again and uh, and uh, if I could, I could go I would go back even again. But well, the that's... problem is that it's it, <coughs> yeah. Oh, no
0: sorry well this is just leading right into the um the last question is what is the next step now that well kind of covid is still here but it's i don't know things are changing people are doing things differently um what is the next step for you and is there an event out there that you're going to tackle
1: yeah i've been thinking about that a lot because uh well as a fin- winter cyclist and about we if we talk about winter races this is the the biggest one so there is nothing more challenging than this so uh uh i'm st- still thinking about i i just I love this race and uh I I just uh if I could I could actually go there at least one more time. But uh it, it's a big commitment and it uh it, you know it's uh it's uh it takes a lot of time and money. Mm. So uh it's it's not it's not something that I'm thinking about right now. I'm I'm not going next year. But uh, I still, I, I kind of hoped that I could still go there. But there are some some other long long distance uh, races or some some own challenges. You know, you could do some some. Uh, I've I've you know I, before the before the first one thousand mile race I i rode uh, across finland with my road bike and uh, uh i could do something something like that again although it's uh it's 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 not that hard compared to alaska but uh but something uh, you know uh, i still have some time i'm i'm not too old you know to try Uh, these uh, slightly shorter uh, distances where you really want to know if you have some speed left. And so, uh, so actually this summer, this is uh, something I've been thinking about for a long time, I will ride 24 hours on with my road bike. And uh, I just want to see what kind of distance i can travel in in 24 hours with my road bike so uh and uh i've been also thinking about doing 24 hours on a, on a velodrome on a track but <laughs>
0: there you that go is, this uh, is where Mika can out. <laughs> yeah i've
1: been actually i I talked a bit with Mika about that uh and uh but uh, it's a really different diff- different kind of challenge and uh you, it's not about only about me, so you need really good you know team behind you that so uh, those it, it leg yeah. So, uh, but I, I'm, I have to see uh, what I do next. But uh, yeah, I st- still think that the uh, well, the Alaska and the, the the winter racing and the fat biking, the, I think it's the thing that suits me best. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well. Tony this
0: has been amazing and um and I've loved the adventure cuz it's just fascinating hearing from people who do big epic races or events like this like just the things that go through your mind and and you know the the adventure of the whole thing. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us. And um I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Secrets from the Satellite. I hope you've enjoyed everything and we would definitely love to hear your biggest takeaways from this episode. And don't forget to subscribe and share And Tony and I would love it if you give us a review and, or a five stars plus a review. Wouldn't we, Tony? Yeah. We would appreciate that because we deserve it. And, um, with that, um, do you have any last words for our listeners, Tony? Oh, to anybody who is thinking about doing something crazy like that. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think uh, I've been think thinking about the, this our life is quite short. So uh, if you want to try something, go for it and, uh, and try it because uh, uh, we won't be here forever. So... Uh, that's that's something I've been thinking a bit too much actually lately. But uh yeah, but, but uh maybe maybe it's because I'm not so young anymore. So uh and there is still things that I want to try and to do. So uh yeah. Go well, go for it are... and uh well,
0: I think those are great words of wisdom, actually. And I think a lot of people have started thinking that way uh, in the last year, really. Um, And we've had lots of time to think about what we've been doing (laughs) with our lives. And yeah, Yeah. and uh, and don't tell me you're you're too old to do. You've got lots and lots of years <laughs> ahead of you. I can tell. And it don't forget to follow both of us on social media. Tony has some great pages with some great fiti- uh, footage and pictures of his event. Um, with that, have an amazing day and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast